touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And both of us are jet lagged. Yay! Yay. Does it feel three hours later than what it should be to you? Or, yes, that I can't count anymore, so I'm not really sure. Lauren and I have both been on very long uh, flights recently, and uh, uh, Lauren, you were vacating. Oh, right, yes. I I happened to be in L.A. Uh, Jonathan was in L.A. for an entirely work-related purpose. Yeah, for E3. And uh, between the two of us, I think um, think Lauren wins. You got to see dead elephants and... uh, (laughs) Mastodons, dead mastodons. Right, elephants. And I got, uh, I feel like the band Mastodon is playing in my head right now. That's, that's how I feel. Excellent. That's a reference for all my Atlanta buddies. Aww. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I did go to E3, and so we thought it would be fun to record a quick episode of Tech Stuff to kind of talk about the stuff, what I saw, and, uh, and sort of my, my conclusions, uh, from the entire experience of E3. So, uh, Lauren, where would you like to start? Uh, well, uh, how, how many years have you been going to E3 now? I've, I've gone three times. So okay. I did take a break because, uh, we, there used to be a How Stuff Works show called Pop Stuff. Right. When Pop Stuff came along, they decided that, uh, that video games kind of fell into their, their umbrella, the uh-huh. whole pop culture thing. And I didn't disagree. And, uh, and I thought it was perfectly fine. But then Pop Stuff went on hiatus. Um, the hosts of Pop Stuff are now the hosts of Stuff You Missed in History Class. And so it came back round to who should we send to E3. And because of the fact that we had an opening and because of the fact that uh, two major companies were introducing brand new consoles. We really wanted to be there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that is the reason why I went. So uh, <laughs> and and yeah, uh, Jonathan one day came into the office and said, hey, Lauren, would you we can send one person to E3. Do you want it to be you? And I said, that sounds terrifying. No, thank you. Yeah. So I I, I took one for the team. Uh, a lot of people let we'll get this out of the way first. A lot of people who have not been to E3 think of it as this has got to be the most amazing experience. You know, get to play video games all day long. No, what you mostly get to do is wait in line to play a video game for between five and 20 minutes, and then you have to leave, and then you have to go wait in another line to play a totally different game for five to 20 minutes. So it's like a theme park, except with more video game trailers. Right. It's a, it's a theme park where instead of a ride, it's a video game that you play for a little while. Um, and in some cases, you don't even play a game. You wait in line so that you can watch a demo of someone else playing the game, but you don't get a chance to play it yourself. Or possibly a trailer or teaser trailer. Sometimes it's just a teaser, yeah. Sometimes it's not even uh, a full trailer. Uh, now, to be fair, this whole show, the purpose of it is so that video game publishers and and distributors have a chance to meet with uh, with retail establishments that could be carrying their games, as well as the media and other industry members, to talk about gaming, the titles that are coming up, the hardware that's coming up. It gives companies like Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo a chance to say, these are our platforms, we want more games developed for them, this is how we are going to support developers so that they can make games for our platforms. It's really industry related. It's not open to the public. Uh, right, right. Yeah. I think that they closed that down. What was it like circa 2002? Yeah, there was there was a time where they experimented with having it open to the public, but it meant that all the people within the industry had that much more trouble 
getting access to the stuff that they needed to to have in order to make their decisions. All that being said, there's still very much kind of a party atmosphere at E3. You've got a lot of very young people. A lot of the media there were young bloggers. Oh, wow. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, I felt like while I was in line to go to the Microsoft press event, I felt that I was easily the oldest person in line apart from the security people working the show. Ouch. And I, and I, I give you, I, I give you stuff about being older than me, but you're, you're really not that, that not old that much all. older. So, no, no. Yeah. But they, mm-hmm. most of these kids were in their early twenties. We'll, we'll get yeah. into some of the other members of the, Press. press core. Well, at least at least the people who went to the Microsoft event. Not all of them are necessarily press, but uh, I have some I have some opinions I would like to share about that. Uh, <laughs> but all that being said, uh, there is still a little bit of a party atmosphere. People are still having fun, but it's not like the mecca of gamers everywhere the way it's seen because you're you're usually playing a game that's maybe not even finished, and if it even mm-hmm. if it is finished, you're playing a very small section of it, so you just get a hint. Of what the game is like. Sure, sure. So, and, and it's not something like a like like PAX or Dragon Con or Comic Con or anything like right, that, where yeah. you've got. You, I you, mean, all, all the people in costumes are being paid to be there for the most part. For a booth. There were a couple of members of the media who, as part of their their representation, Shtick. they were they were dressed up. Yeah, there was a lady dressed up as Laura Croft who had a media badge, and she was in the media lounge dressed as Laura Croft, and that's. I guess, yeah, I guess that's her thing, which is perfectly fine. But yeah, it's not like a convention that's open to the public where everyone's showing up in costume. Most of the people who are in Mm -hmm. costume are working for a specific vendor or a specific uh, developer or publisher. Although, yeah, the funny thing about about L.A. is that, you know, when I was down on Hollywood Boulevard, I did run into two Master Chiefs and a Cortana just walking down the street. Yeah, I didn't run into any Master Chiefs while I was there. But yeah, so anyway, that's the overview of E3. It is industry only. It is held once a year. It's held in Los Angeles. Uh, They've already got the announcement for the dates for the 2014 E3. Uh, we'll see who goes to that one, but um, let's let's get into some specifics. What do you want to know? Right, yeah. Uh, so, so you mentioned Microsoft. I heard that there was a few big announcements for Microsoft. Right. Now, of course, the big one being that this is the year that they come out with the Xbox One. Yeah, That's yeah. The they had a generation. release date uh, in November. November thirtieth will mm-hmm. be the release date, and uh, the price is four hundred and ninety nine dollars in the United States. Um, so that's a hundred dollars more than what the Xbox 360 went for uh-huh. when it first went on. Uh, they, they also announced a brand new version of the Xbox 360, right? Which was slimmed down and made a little more sleek. Uh, the, I heard I heard it was going to be quieter and that they're going to be uh, continuing to come out with games for it. They said that it was as quiet as the previous versions, and that raised a couple of uh, snickers in the audience. <laughs> but yes, um, and and there are some some they did announce some games there specifically for the 360. They're there. I think their point they were trying to make is that they aren't abandoning the 360. You know, when when the 360 came out, it was very shortly thereafter that they stopped all development for the original Xbox. And uh, and I think that this message they're sending is we're not going to do that with this generation. You're going to have games for the Xbox One and we're still developing games for the 360 because we still think of it as a viable piece of hardware. So for a while, it's going to follow the same kind of model that Sony tends to do, where you support the old generation while you're also pushing the new one. Now, when they were their press event, it was um, divided up into sections. They started off with a big uh, preview of Metal Gear Solid, as I recall which got a lot of people in the audience excited. Um, then they talked about the 360, and then they went on to the Xbox One. Microsoft had recently received a lot of criticism because they had an event about 
well, about two and a half weeks before E3, where they unveiled the Xbox One for the first time. Right. And in that one, they were specifically talking about its capabilities as sort of an entertainment center. They didn't really talk about the games very much. And they cut a lot of flack for that, even though Microsoft had said at the outset, we're not talking about games. We'll do that at E3. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this time, they talked about games a lot. And they talked about some um, innovations that I think are largely not appreciated by gamers, or at least not, it's not something that they're looking for. And I think that was a problem because, uh, when we get into the Sony thing, we'll talk about, you know, the various impressions that people got from that press day. Mm-hmm. Well, Microsoft's press event, you know, they talked about how, uh, they were integrating Smart Glass, which is their, uh, mobile operating system integration with Xbox Live and Xbox. Right. So that would give you more control over games. It would give you access to, to other content that's related to the games. They showed a lot of games that have a tactical element where someone using Smart Glass could influence a game by, uh, seeing an overview of an entire map. So let's say it's squad-based combat. This person might be able to call in an airstrike against opponents or be able to warn someone like, hey, if you turn that corner, there's three guys waiting to ambush you. That kind so, of stuff. Uh, so extra functionality that you wouldn't get from the game itself. But once you link a tablet into it, you get this uh, this added dimension. Right. And, and that's cool. But I think a lot of gamers are thinking like, well... Okay. That's... Okay, but I'm already paying $500 for this console. Right. I don't want to just... have to buy another tablet or, right. or even, you know, people are just saying like, I just, that's just not what I'm looking for in a game. I don't think it, I don't think it had the big impact that Microsoft was possibly Hoping? expecting for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They also talked a lot about their connect and the connect, um, uh, interaction with games. And again, I think that's one of those things that it's really cool. I think both the smart glass and connect are really cool. Uh, innovative approaches to gaming, but a lot of gamers just, they haven't gotten to the point where they care about that. Oh, right, sure. I've, I've felt like, um, like the Connect is a really great, like, family party kind of thing most of the time, but, but I don't know anyone who plays any quote unquote serious games with a Connect. It's all, it's all, you know, like, oh, like the, the, the Wii Sports style thing or Connect Sports, whatever that franchise right. is called. I, I could see, I could see it becoming more useful as it gets more deeply integrated into games. For example, again, going back to like a squad-based game, if you are a human character and you are playing with artificially intelligent helpers and you issue a command over the connect, and that way you don't have to press some sort of button sequence to tell your squad, wait here, oh, sure. then that could be very useful. And of course, that's just one small example. And then there's always mm-hmm. the gesture control stuff too, not just voice control. But again, I don't think... That that's, a what, lot of, that's what their core gamer element is really. Yeah, they're not asking for it yet. Yeah. They're not, they're not interested in it yet. And I think part of that is just because it's such a young technology that. None of us have really seen how it benefits. Exactly. We haven't had a core example saying, look, see how amazing this game is when you put these other elements in with this game. It makes it a must buy. I don't think we've had a title like that yet. Or at least if we have, I don't think it's gotten widespread enough acclaim for that to be uh, a decision-making factor. So most gamers, what they're expecting is better graphics, better processor. Uh, They're hoping for a decent price. And some of the other elements that Microsoft didn't really address, which includes the whole idea about what happens with used games. Because Microsoft's approach is all about streaming and and cloud-based and essentially moving away from the physical media that we tend to think of when we think of consoles. And 
that is a is a dramatic departure to the way that games have been done in the past. And it also means that there are some pretty strong restrictions. Like if it's a digital copy, how do you sell a used game? And why would you pay less money for a used game if it's a digital copy and the media is exactly the same? It it makes it makes the word used meaningless in yeah. terms of and that's that's a big concern because sure, there are sure. a lot of because people who mo- most people buy. Or I, I'm not going to say most people, but a lot of people buy second market. Yeah, because this way they can buy the games they want for a little less money than what they would have to spend at full price. And maybe it takes them a couple months to buy it, but yeah, and then when they're done with it, they can sell it back if they want uh, for, for a much lower price. Three and a half dollars or whatever it is. But, but it's it's still it's still one of those things where if you add it up, you're like, okay, look, over the course of this year, that meant that I, I, I paid 10 bucks for a $50 title once you factor in all of this stuff over time, right? Sure. And now it's going to be, well, the used doesn't really make any sense anymore, so I have to buy it new. Then you have the, the, the concept of you need to be connected to the internet and it has to, to dial in. Right. Yeah, it does this once, once every 24 hours. Um, a lot of people are upset about that. Now, personally, from my own perspective, it doesn't bother me that much, but it's because the way I use my Xbox right now, it's always connected anyway. Sure. And so, and I don't, I don't tend to shop for games and used games. I don't sell off games. So it doesn't affect me personally because that's my own personal style. However. Oh, right. But that's, that's very much a class issue, I would say, of, of assuming that, that their, that their core basic gamer has a 24 hour a day, seven day a week internet connection that it never goes out that they are interested in being online all the time and that they are okay with spending that much money on as many games as they want to buy. Sure. I I am the case, the perfect case for Microsoft's approach because that's how I play. Mm -hmm. But I recognize there are other people who have very different uh, restrictions on them. They have different life circumstances. I completely understand that, and I understand why they yeah, would be upset on, about it. On, honestly, for me, the, the cost of games is part of why I don't play more video games, because I'm like, well, you know, either I could buy this video game or I could go to a couple of movies and have a couple of drinks with some friends and have a really nice dinner, and I would overall rather do all of that stuff than yeah. Yeah, pay 60 I'm, bucks for a video game. And that's the thing, month. is that it, it it's... I think what Microsoft is doing is it's trying to push gaming into a new era, a new generation. And that means having to leave behind support for uh, traditional forms of gaming. And it's it's a tough thing. It's really hard. It's hard to get people on your side when you do that, because in general, we don't really like change that much. We like improvements. We don't like change. <laughs> Nerds don't like change. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> people in general hate to break it to you. Not just nerds. Okay. So, I'll but give yeah, you that. change is one of those things where I mean, we've seen this with other companies. Like Apple is famous for this, where Apple will stop supporting one form of media, forcing the industry to conform to Apple's new approach if they want to continue working with Apple. Usually, that means that there's a year or two of struggle before things settle down and everyone either forgets what it used to be like or they actually prefer the new way. But it takes time for that to, to happen. Acclimate, yeah. And so I think it's the same thing with this, is that, you know, this this has upset some gamers. I don't think that the, you know, unless Microsoft dramatically changes its, uh, its strategy, I don't think that that's going to change anytime soon. But uh, I do think that over time, the objections will become less... Uh, what's the right word? Um, adamant. 
they're going to sure, be sure. And maybe, maybe, maybe that's maybe that's just their market too. I mean, you know, yeah. it's it's there are certainly different segments of the gamer market. Enough people are involved in gaming communities these days that I think it's very possible for them to target that market if they want. Now, I will say I had a chance to play a few games using the Xbox One. Uh, I don't know if it's just me. It felt like the controller was actually a little smaller than it used to be. Huh. Um, maybe maybe that was just. You know, it could have just all been in my mind because I didn't have a chance to play Xbox 360 and the Xbox One back to back. But it just felt a little different, uh, not in a necessarily a bad way, but it, it took a little getting used to. Um, the, the shoulder buttons are a little different and the trigger buttons are a little different. But, uh, the, the games I played were very responsive and very, uh, pretty to look at. They also had some interesting, teasers at the uh, the Microsoft press event, including one of a game franchise that's beloved by both people on this podcast, Halo. Uh, it was a, it was very much a teaser. It had a, uh, a a robed figure trudging through the desert uh, and you couldn't see any details on this figure at all, mm-hmm. just as they're walking over the dunes and these beautiful particle effects with the sand and everything. Uh, this is obviously like a pre-rendered teaser, not in-game footage necessarily. Sure, but, but then suddenly the ground starts to shake, uh, sand starts to fall away, and this enormous um, mechanical creature, like bird-like thing, comes out of the desert. It essentially is like a, an evolved version of what the sort of stuff you saw in Halo 4. And then the wind from its emergence of uh, from the desert blows back the cowl on the robe, revealing Master Chief. Uh-huh. Uh, and then it just had the title for Halo 5, and the crowd went nuts. Um, <laughs> now, let me tell you, out of all the stuff that happened at Microsoft's press event, the one thing that got the biggest response... And this is very telling. You know, Microsoft is going through all these issues where gamers are worried about the future of the console and how, you know, they're worried about the Kinect being required and having to have it connected all the time in order to play games. They're worried about the uh, the co- consistent connection to the Internet. They're worried about the used games. Microsoft said one thing that got the crowd uh, cheering, which was that they were moving away from Microsoft points and going to real currency. Right, right. I heard about that. So no longer will you have to pay money to buy 1,600 Microsoft points to then buy a 1,200 Microsoft point game left over with 400 points. This was one of those issues. It's like there are a lot of places that do this sort of thing. I always call it the Disney dollar approach where you buy into a a platform-specific currency, but the amount of real money you spend to get the platform currency uh, – Never matches up with whatever the actual products sure, are. Sure, sure, and it's all—it's all. I think people are pretty aware that that's all smoke and mirrors. It's a way of getting people to uh, not pay as much attention to what they're buying. Right. Oh, well, and that, how much they're spending. There's also and, and there's also the fact that you know you're going to have to spend more money than what you need to buy whatever it is you want to buy because again it doesn't match up exactly, right? Mm-hmm. They're moving away from that to real currency purchases. Well, that's awesome. And it got a huge response from the crowd. That was the biggest one of the night, as far as I could tell, wow. besides maybe the Halo teaser. <laughs> uh-huh. So when when your biggest response is the fact that you're moving away from a points-based currency to real currency, and it'll be it'll be real for whatever region. You know, like in sure. the United States, it's dollars. In the UK, it'll be pounds. And in Europe, it'll be euros and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So... It'll, uh, th- but the fact that that was the biggest response was very kind of telling, I think. That, that, that it wasn't anything else from Microsoft that got that big of a buy-in from the crowd. That they, that they maybe weren't, um, catering enough to the people who were there with their content. 
to uh, with their with their presentation. Right, right. And when I walked into E3 before I'd seen anything, I was absolutely convinced that I would buy an Xbox One and I would eschew the PS4 and oh, the wow. Xbox One would be my only console. And I'll tell you what, after the break, I'll tell you more about how that decision changed. But before I do, let's take a quick moment to thank our sponsor. All right, we're back. So I covered Microsoft. Right. Uh, and, and you just finished saying that you weren't too sure about Sony going into the, going into E3. How did you feel about it once you'd seen their presentation? All right. So before I said that I would only buy an Xbox One and I would, uh, move away from the Sony platform because the reason why I said that is as a gamer right now, I have both consoles. I have the 360 and the PS3, both current generation consoles, I should <laughs> say. Right. I have the 360 and the PS3. And I've got two games for the PS3, which I never play. I only use my PS3 as a Blu-ray player. Now, on my Xbox 360, I've got lots of games that I play all the time. And the new Xbox One also is going to have a Blu-ray player, which I thought, or a Blu-ray drive. And I thought, well, this means that I could get rid of my PS3 because I never use it except as a Blu-ray player. And uh, I can't imagine wanting a PS4. Sony has its press event. And Sony addressed all the concerns that people had about Microsoft and they made sure to do it in such a way that it was a dig at Microsoft at every opportunity. A little bit wink, wink, nudge, nudge yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. So they said, you know, our games are going to come on disc and you can put those discs in any PS4 and it's going to work. So if you want to trade that game in, if you want to sell that game, if you want to lend it to your friend, you can totally do that because your games are your games. And that was a shot across the yep. bow at Microsoft. Now, wow. keep in mind, Neil, Microsoft is looking at this cloud-based approach where theoretically you could have cloud-based uh, computing where the game itself could be too complex for your console to play on wow. its own. Wow. So mm-hmm. with cloud computing, you have these massive server farms that are running the games for you. You're streaming the content. So it's kind of like, you know, an Ouya or OnLive or something like that. And you're able to suddenly... Uh, play these games that normally your console couldn't run. Sony's approach was that we just made the console stronger and you can play whatever you want. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a that's definitely a thing. No, I was I was going to ask have have you heard anything about whether Microsoft's games for the Xbox One are going to be tied to a gamer profile so that you can take them to a different box or it, Yes, it is supposed to do that. Okay. So you're supposed to be tied to it so that you can do that sort of thing. Uh you can According to Xbox or Microsoft, rather, you can sell off a game, but there could be restrictions on that based upon each individual game publisher. So in other words, Microsoft is, is leaving it up to publishers to decide what the um, the actual policy will be for selling used games. And the publishers, for their part, have said this might be true, but they haven't given us any details. So we don't know how that would well, be implemented. So yeah. at the moment, there's still a big question mark about used games in general with the Xbox One. It's not to say that there will not be any way of doing it, but it may be very much restricted and it may be a case by case basis, which is just going to drive players nuts. Oh, sure. So that's impossible. Uh, but, but back to Sony, I right. heard that they also had something to say about authentication. Well, you know, they had a stuff to say about everything. Like, essentially, every single point they made was that this is not the way we're doing things. The, the Microsoft way is not the way we're doing things. They didn't use those words specifically, but they they were very careful to kind of go uh-huh. ahead with that. And their, and their conference was maybe six hours after Microsoft's conference, I believe. Yeah, it was. And I, I don't know how much – I think that most of their, their points had to be 
pretty much in stone. Free, uh-huh. Because even even giving given six hours, there's not enough time to make Put company wide multimedia presentation right. decisions on that well, corporate. Not just multimedia decisions, but you're talking about a decision that will affect the business from that point forward. That's a huge decision. I can't think of any company that would be nimble enough to to make that kind of change in real time and within six hours say, all right, well, now we know how we're going to answer this question because Microsoft did it this way and people didn't like it, so we're going to do it this way. I don't think that was possible. I, I'm, I'm sure, but I, I, you know, the cynical part of me suspects that maybe they listened to Xbox's presentation and watched the crowd response and had their speaker. Um, I think they probably tweaked the approach, uh-huh. right? So that they already knew what they were going to say. Now they knew how they were going to say it. Right. I think that I think that's fair enough. Well, Sony also managed to do a few other things. First of all, one of the first things they did was they showed off the console because right because they hadn't previously. Yeah, they had had a, a an event earlier in 2013 where they announced the console and they talked about some of the games that would be coming out, but they did not um, reveal any pictures of the console itself. They showed off the controller and they showed off what the PSI camera looks like, which is very similar to the Kinect. Right. But they did not show off the console itself. So that was one of the first things they did. And people's first reaction was, huh, it looks a lot like the Xbox One. Uh, it, well, at a certain point, a console looks like a console. It's, you know. Yeah. It, well, the both of them looked more like something you would see in a home entertainment stack, right? Because the PS3 had that, that curved, the original one anyway, had that curved top, which meant that you could not stack anything on top of it because right. it would just be all wobbly. Uh, this one looks more like what you would see with a cable box, although it does have, if you look at it fr- in profile, it has these kind of, it's almost like a little rhombus. Uh, okay. instead of a, That's instead cute. of a, a rectangle. But anyway, yeah, it's, it's a neat design and, uh, they showed off a lot of games. In fact, they showed, it felt like they showed off a lot more games than Microsoft did. But they also showed a lot of games for the PS3 as well as the PS4. They started off with some really powerful heavy hitters like The Last of Us, which the, the reviews have come in for The Last of Us. The game itself, as of the recording of this podcast right now, is not yet out. It comes out the week this podcast should publish. But, <laughs> uh-huh. The reviews, the early reviews have all been amazingly positive. Lots and lots of perfect scores for this wow. game. It's, uh-huh. and it's a, it's a survivalist game. You're, you're playing, uh, an, uh, older male character who is looking after a younger, like a teenage girl character. Uh, it's post-apocalypse. Of course, there are zombie-like critters that are after you as well as other survivors who are not necessarily in the helpful mood. And, uh, apparently it's just got a very emotionally uh, impactful story. I got to play a demo of it and it was intense. Uh, also a lot of creative little puzzle solving moments in it as well. So, uh, yeah, there was no shortage of zombies at E3. But anyway, uh, other stuff that they, they then moved on to the PS4 and talked about some of the games that you would see for that and the, the, uh, interesting, uh, approaches they had. They, they also talked about a lot of games that were, not really your traditional games that you would see on Xbox. Um, Sony kind of excels in this space where they get some weird, funky games that have innovative style play and premises. That, sure, things like a, like Little Big Planet, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, if you look at Xbox, they have some of those. And if you look at Xbox Live Arcade, you see some of these kind of 
independent developer games that are really kind of quirky or push your expectations of what a game is and what a game can do. But I think Sony does this better than Microsoft does in general. Sony tends to have, at least Sony tends to support independent gamers to a more visible extent than Microsoft. Right. You know, maybe both companies are doing the same amount of work, but Sony's is way more noticeable. And while they didn't dedicate an entire segment of their uh, of their press event to independent games. They did show off some independent games that got the crowd excited and some some just weird premises. Like uh, my favorite was Octodad. Octodad. O- Octodad, where you play as an octopus who is posing as a human and your goal is to get through various scenarios without people suspecting that you are in fact an octopus in human clothes. I want to play that right it now. It's so fun. <laughs> I got to play a demo. So in this game, you are actually using the PS4's controllers. And, and this, this title, by the way, is going to be available not just on the PS4, but also on Mac and Windows computers. But uh, you use your various buttons on your PS4 controller to control the legs, your tentacles, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the physics of the game are trying to match what an octopus would be. In other words, you have no bones. So you're all flippy floppy as you're trying to walk around. And as people, as you draw attention to yourself, there's more likely to be a, an incident of someone knowing that you're an octopus. When when people start realizing that you have no bones in your legs. Right, when you're yeah. all flippy mm-hmm. floppy. Yeah, so the, the <laughs> demo they had was that you had to get dressed for your wedding and then make your way down the aisle so that no one noticed that you were an octopus. So you had to find a tuxedo and you had to uh, find an engagement ring or actually a wedding band and put it on your intended's hand and uh, – and and controlling – you would switch between controlling the legs and controlling the arms. You wouldn't control all of them at the same time. So you're controlling you're controlling walking <laughs> for a while. Yeah. yeah. And then you'd switch to your arms. Controlling your arms, you had to use both dual stick uh, – both, both of the stick controllers mm-hmm. to control the X, Y, and Z axis so that you could do depth as well as uh, vertical and horizontal control. And uh, judging how far you needed to put your arm so you could slide this ring onto your wife's arm – was, I mean, people behind me are laughing their butts off because it's just so ridiculous. And it was, no matter who was playing the demo, that was what was going on. People were just laughing at how silly and absurd and, and funny uh-huh. this, this game was. That's great. Um, honestly, I don't know if the game, like, could hold up for a full length game, but I had a lot of fun playing that one demo. Uh, I also noticed, at least to me, again, just as the Xbox One controller felt smaller in my hands, and again, I might be just crazy, uh, but the PS4 controller felt larger in my hands. Anyone who's heard me rant about Sony has heard the problem I have with the DualShock controller. I have, my fingers aren't incredibly long, but they're fairly long, and I get like crab hands. I've o- I've always found the uh, the the PlayStation controllers a little bit crampy. Yeah, yeah, I, I do too. More so than that, I I was actually the one kid who who didn't want to put down that original like bear sized Xbox. Yeah, the Duke, Con- the Duke controller. <laughs> right. That's what it was called. Yeah, no, I like that one too. I mean, I was like, it's like a big crayon. It's just more comfortable in your hand. Uh, the Sega Dreamcast had a very similar kind of controller. It was these large controllers that felt more comfortable in my hands. The PlayStation controller I've always felt as a little cramped for the way I hold the controller, and so the PS4 controller felt a little more comfortable. Now, granted, keep in mind. I was playing for five to ten minutes at a time, so it's not like a true gaming session where I call in, quote-unquote, sick, and um, uh, sick means Uncharted 4 just came out. Uh, Then, you know, 
maybe if I were to play a marathon session, I'd, I would realize that I could no longer open a jar. You know, I don't <laughs> right. know because I didn't have that chance. Jo- Jonathan really never does that. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't call in quote unquote sick. Anyway, so the PS4 announcement also drew a lot of, of acclaim because one, they said that you don't have any problem with used games, which really, when you think about it, the PS4 got a lot of praise because of the things it didn't do. It essentially kept things the same. And by keeping things the same, it made gamers happy, which again goes back to that thing about gamers hate change. Hate change. And yeah, that's, uh, that's going to be interesting to see how that, how that shakes out. Well, they also announced that it would be a hundred dollars less expensive than the Xbox One. Yeah. I heard that that was, uh, that that was the last thing that they announced basically in the presentation. Yes. And they said that it would be available by the holiday season of this year. 2013, and that it would be $100, it'd be $399 in the United States. So that's $100 less than the Xbox One. And that got people really excited too. I mean, they went nuts. And, uh, and I think that to me, that means that Sony has got to be, this, this is just me guessing. This is my opinion, but I think Sony has to be taking a loss on those consoles. They have to be selling them at a loss and hoping to make up the money in game sales. Mm, right. But uh, I can't imagine that because there's not that much difference between the PS4 and the Xbox One when you get down to Hardware specs. Hardware wise. Right. And I, I mean, I always forget, you know, uh, the, the last generation console came out in 2005. 2005. Yeah. That's a really long time ago. So. Well, yeah, they had said that they had planned for the PS3 to have a 10 year lifespan, right. like a, a life cycle as far as development goes. So, uh, you know, th- this just says that they're going to Again, continue to develop for the PS3, just like Microsoft is going to continue to develop for the Xbox 360. So I, um, I did hear that they're putting off the game streaming that they talked so much about at their last press conference until 2014. Yeah, um, that's there's still a question about that. I think I think the uh, gamers really gave Sony a big pass uh, on on that, but it's um, you know that is something that there's still questions about, and there weren't a whole lot of answers. It was more like. We're still not ready to talk about this. Uh, it'll be ready in another another you know year. So uh, there's still some questions to answer. But I think the combination of the lower price tag and the the throwing a bone to gamers as far as the whole media thing is concerned, and also you don't have to have a persistent internet connection to play right. games. You know the, these sort of things were the things that made gamers really happy. And that's what led everyone to say that Sony, quote unquote, won One. E3. And I can't disagree because, like I said, when I walked in to E3, I was convinced I was going to buy an Xbox One and skip the PS4. Now I'm almost certain I will buy a PS4 and I'm still pretty sure I'm going to buy an Xbox One. I, I, I'm pretty sure I'll buy both, but I can't. I don't think I can skip the PS4 now. And part of wow. that is because I, I looked at some of these independent games that are only coming out for the PS4, and I am really impressed with Sony's dedication to supporting new and innovative ways of creating games. Because as much as I love video games, I have to admit, I'm getting a little tired of the military shooters, the zombie games. It gets kind of formulaic. The sure. sports games, mm-hmm. and even the RPGs, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, yeah, I, yeah, and and they and they and they get so big and so shiny, and and clearly so much is dedicated to the gorgeous artwork. And I certainly don't want to downplay the the work that goes into that because sure. it's wonderful. However, sometimes you just really want a game that surprises you. Yeah, and well, and, and you think about some of the games that just got crazy love, like Katamari Damacy. Yes, like, how do you explain? How do you explain to someone what that game is? I mean, it's so I frequently weird. try to, and people just look at me like I'm from another planet. And even if you do 
describe that game to any accurate know, accurate level. People don't get it until they pick it up and start playing it and they realize, holy like, crap, oh. this is fun. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing is that Sony is getting really good at supporting that kind of development. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to say that Sony's an altruistic company that has, uh, the, that has a heart of gold or anything. They, they see the value in this. They see that there is room for this kind of development and that gamers respond to it. Right. If the gamers didn't respond, then independent scene would be non-existent. Um, and again, it's not to say that the Xbox doesn't support independent developers. It's just not as it's not as visible. It's you know, and both of these events, it was very clear that they wanted to leverage the big name that big names in game development that are out there because that makes a huge impact. I mean, it's a lot easier to win over a crowd with an established brand than it is to show off something that's that's completely new and have to hope that your audience gets it. Oh, of course, of course. I mean, you put you put Metal Gear up on the screen and have Keith or Sutherland's voice coming at you and yeah, people are going to go wild. You put so. Assassin's Creed 4 up there and you've got pirates. I mean, oh, sure. how how do you how do you not Respond with yay when you see Assassin's Creed and Pirates. Yeah. Uh, I said yay. By the way, that was one of the games I got to watch. I got to watch the gameplay in real time. I got yeah. to watch someone playing this game. How did it look? It looked great, but they did not let people play it. If you weren't working for Sony, you were not playing that game. At least um, maybe they had some closed door sessions where people were able to get their hands on it. But I was not one of those people. Hmm. Um, was, that, was that your experience at a lot of booths? or um... Quite a few. I mean, like... Uh, Watch Dogs was the same way. Um, there were some games that I could have gotten up there and played, but it would have meant doing it in front of an audience. And uh, I don't necessarily want to have my first experience with a game being when there's 400 people giggling. Uh, for example, uh, moving away from now we've covered Microsoft and Sony, we can talk about some of the specific games I saw. Sure. Uh, Fantasia. Mm-hmm. So Fantasia is the next game by Harmonix. That's, of course, the company that did Guitar Hero and Rock Band and everyone. And, and they did some crazy music and rhythm games before Guitar Hero and Rock Band. They're known for integrating music and gameplay and making it a new experience. But they haven't come out with a game in a while. Fantasia was their game that they were showing off at E3. They talked about they were developing other games in-house, but they weren't ready to talk about them yet. But Fantasia is a game where you are put in the role of essentially Mickey Mouse in the movie Fantasia. You know, as the Sorcerer's Apprentice, when he's up there on that peak, uh-huh. and he's moving his hands around in big gestures to control the, and the seas waves and, and the, the stars. And and, the, uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's you. They They play music and what happens is uh, they, they showed off a couple of different examples. The, the person doing the demo showed off uh, Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody, <laughs> and which is exactly what you would expect to see in Fantasia. Of course. Uh, but, but what happens is you stand and the Kinect is what – this is for the Xbox 360 and the X- Xbox One. The Kinect picks up your motions. And there's a little indicator on the screen that shows you what direction you need to swipe with your arm. And then there's a little dot or a little uh, uh, figure that moves across the screen. And when it intersects with that line, that's when you make the motion. So it's a rhythm game in the sense that you need to time it out when the dot hits the motion. That's when you make the motion. Mm-hmm. And it's things like sweeping your arms to the left, to the right, up and down, or pushing forward. And this would control 
the volume of the the music, like a, essentially the vocals. So if you started missing stuff, then the volume starts to go down. When you're hitting it, the volume's going up until it reaches where it needs to be. And then you could also do things like at certain parts of the song, control what style of music is being played. So you could either go with the original uh, composition, composition, right? So the Queen's original cut. Or uh, in the ver- in the version of Queen, you could also choose a hard rock version, so it suddenly has a lot more guitar and drums in it. Or you could choose an orchestral version, so suddenly you've got strings and horns, and you get to do this throughout the the game. And not only does it change the nature of the music that's playing as you're playing the game, it's still the so- same song, but it changes the arrangement and the nature of it. It would also change the gameplay because each version would have a slightly different set of motions that were associated with that. So one of them might have more moments where you have to push forward with your hands and another one might have one, one that has you moving your hands more like a conductor, you know. So it all depends wow. on uh-huh. which yeah, one. Yeah. And again, you would you would mix the song in various ways. So you'd have like in the case of Bohemian Rhapsody, which I believe is approximately 47 minutes long, you would have the opportunity to do this multiple times before the song is over. Um, and it also would give you a chance to manipulate things like a guitar solo. You would get to a point where a, a, a symbol would show up on the screen and it would be like a cube or a, a pyramid. And each line of that cube would be represented by a motion. And if you hit all the different lines, like if you were able to hit all the motions that came up in a sequence, kind of like, you know, Guitar Hero had the the hero moment where you would move the guitar and suddenly you're playing like a crazy person. Uh, (laughs) Solo. It's called a solo. Crazy person. Brian May, crazy person. (laughs) So it would come up with this point where you could manipulate the sound by putting both hands forward and moving them apart or closer together. And you could or, or even tilting one hand forward and one hand back and you could change the nature of the sound. So you could make it it's almost like a wah-wah pedal with a guitar and you could change the way the solo sounds. And after you were done, that modified version that you had just modified in real time would play in the background for the, for the next part of the song. So you would still hear your version of the guitar solo playing. So you're you're sampling yourself as you go. That's terrific. So it was really kind of interesting. Again, I don't know how it holds up as a full game. Like the, the like it was, it was cute for a few minutes. It but. was very cute, and I, I wanted to do it, but not at the expense of my dignity. Uh, so I didn't get up there. Uh, although, like, I kind of wish I had because I saw what the next song was that the person, the next person chose, which was uh, "Some Nights" by Fun, and, <laughs> and I would have had a lot of fun just going orchestral through that whole song. <laughs> like, I just want to hear the orchestral version, this kettle <laughs> kettle drums and and violins all the way through. Um, but it was. Uh, Oh, it did look like it was fun. I just don't know, again, how it holds up over a full game. Then again, maybe it's not meant to be a full game experience. Like, you know, if you play Guitar Hero, you might play four or five songs and then say, all right, I'm done. Sure, sure. I've, I've, I've never played all the way through Rock Band. I love playing it, you know, at, at, at party kind of situations yeah. with a small group of friends. But Yeah, yeah. So that that was one example I saw where I could have gotten hands-on if I had, well, Hands off in a way because it's connect. But if I had really wanted to, but I did not. Uh, other games I saw, uh, Wolfenstein, the next Wolfenstein game. I did get a hands on with that. Yeah. Um, it's Wolfenstein. It's Wolfenstein with a it, it alternate history where, uh, the Nazis won World War II and have subjugated essentially all of Europe, including, right. uh, including London. And, um, they have these crazy mech like robots and stuff that are making it even more difficult for your B.J. Blaskowitz character to 
kick Nazi butt, but um, it looked like it, the the acting they had in the game. They showed a cutscene, and the acting was phenomenal. Like not just from the voice actors, and they were very good, but the uh, modeling they did for the faces looked incredibly convincing. Like you could see subtle motions, like a person, the way a person tilted their head or the mm-hmm. way their eyes moved that gave it a much more realistic. And, the, the difference between acting for a camera and acting for a stage kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And it and it also didn't feel too uncanny valley-ish. Like you didn't have, or at least for me, I didn't feel creeped out by it. At least not any more creeped out than having a evil Nazi person interrogate me. That Normally. It's kind of creepy but- on its own. <laughs> but then uh, I also got to play Elder Scrolls Online oh, uh, yeah? for a while. Yeah. That uh, game is going to be amazing. <laughs> I had so much fun with it. I, I, uh, I mean, I guess since it is a multiplayer game, there's always the opportunity for other players to make your life miserable when you're online. Sure. But, but the game itself looked like it, it looked like the kind of stuff you should expect from Elder Scrolls. It was, you know, engaging world, uh, beautiful graphics, wonderful music. Um, you know, kind of the stuff you would expect. You know, obviously a very deep and an established world in that game. And I got to see, this is all from Bethesda. I also got to see a game called, uh, The Evil Within, which is a survival horror game where, um, it definitely looked like it had been inspired by movies like Hostel and Saw. A lot of, uh, hardcore gore and and torture kind of stuff going mm-hmm. on in it. Not my cup of tea, necessarily. Not mine either. Yeah, yeah uh, but it, it certainly follows the other tenets of survival horror. You know, limited resources. Uh, you're trying mostly to survive. So fighting is not always the best choice. In fact, often it means that you should be sneaking around and running away rather than confronting, confronting yeah. the things that will kill you horribly. Yeah, because they yeah. are way too strong for whatever you happen to have at your disposal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks like it would be a very intense game for people who like that sort of thing. It's just not for me. But I didn't get a chance to actually get a hands-on on that. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw other games like uh, World of Tanks, which is known online as a, a kind of crazy tank-based game, is now coming to the Xbox 360. I also saw um, World of Warplanes, which is a warplane version of that same sort of thing, as well as World of Warships. So that I mean, it's very arcadey kind of version of these sort of uh, military games. So they're not at all meant to be realistic, but they are. They do look exciting, and the people playing them had a lot of fun. Uh, Disney Infinity which was taking a really interesting approach. Uh, Disney is probably best known uh, in the the merchandising world as being incredibly smart in the sense that, you know, Disney makes tons of money in merchandising. Oh, of course. Right? So, like, like, if you've ever been to Disney World or Disneyland or on a Disney cruise, any place that Disney owns, you know about pins, right? You collect these pins yeah, and you can mm-hmm. trade them. And uh, some of them are really rare. And it's kind of like and baseball lots, cards. Lots you can only get from a, from a specific character in a specific park or from a specific store. And, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, Disney Infinity kind of takes this sort of approach, but applies it to video games in the sense that there's a little base station that you attach to your uh, gaming console. And this base station has three elements to it where you can put two characters and one overlay on the station. So the two characters represent player one and player two. And you can buy the, the, the figures that you put on this, on this base, um, and mix, mix and up any way you want. So if you want to have, uh, uh, Mike Wazowski 
from Monsters, Inc. Uh as one of your characters and you want to have Captain Hook from Peter Pan as your other character, you could do that. You could buy those two figures and you put them together and suddenly they're together in this game and they interact together. You could also get overlays from the various movies and they'll also be selling play sets, which will allow you to incorporate the play set in a virtual format into the game. Oh, wow. So you're talking about a license to print money. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to be selling, you know, it's it's both a collectible in the sense of someone who so wants it's a, to collect It's a minifigure game that is also has a video, a video game. game element. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the video game element also allows the player to create their own games within this this virtual sandbox world. So if you bought all the playsets, you could, if you wanted to, just create a virtual representation of Disneyland accurately. Like, <laughs> lay it out the way Disneyland is laid out. Wow. Or you could create a fantasy world where you've got... Uh, Cinderella's castle next to Captain Hook's ship, which is next to uh, Stitch's uh, spaceship or, you know, all this kind of stuff. You could mix and match all you like and you could create different kinds of games like you could create a racing game or you could create a sneak game like a, a uh, you know, some sort of thief like roguelike game or you could create a, um, uh, a beat em up game. Like there's all sorts of stuff you can do and the tools are all within the game itself. Now, this is something we've seen in the past with things like the game Trials, which is a motorcycle game. But it's got a crazy amount of customization where you can build your own game types to the point where you would never know it was a motorcycle game. Because right. the, the game types that people have made, they've been able to recreate other types of games using the tools within Trials. And l- l- I've seen these videos and I think, I do not know how you got that engine to do this. this at all. Sure. Right. Same sort of thing. We saw that, you know, Disney Infinity was one example, but there are other examples as well, including games like Spark where it gives the the ability for players to create their own types of gameplay, their own quests, their own challenges, share them online with other people so that they can try them out or they can even take a design and tweak it and change it around and re-upload it. It's uh, sort of this open web kind of approach to video game design, but within the context of a specific engine, right? So Disney Infinity obviously is not going to interact with the spark stuff but <laughs> right right clearly it, and you know like like whatever forge version i'm sure halo 5 will have right. also doesn't yeah yeah so so we've seen this in the past obviously forge is a great example we've mm-hmm. seen these tools and and even, this dates way back right i mean even way back before uh the whole console version if you go back to things like duke nukem or you go to uh Quake or Unreal Tournament, you know, you had map editors where you could build these things yourself. Well, now that's becoming more and more of a standard. And in fact, we're seeing games that are being developed specifically with that in mind, not just as here's another thing you can do, but this is the thing this does. And that was very interesting to me to think of that as a future for gaming where, you know, you say we've given you a version of game developer tools that have a very easy interface compared to, you know, coding line by line. Mm-hmm. Now it's your job to make the game. Yeah. And that was yeah, really interesting and that's, to me. That, that, that's fascinating, especially since so many people are getting interested in programming these days. Yeah. And, and you can never predict what someone will create. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like, you know, a developer will have a very specific idea of what they need to do and how they need to accomplish it. And then they release this out to everyone and they think, huh, I wonder if you can do this thing with the, these tools. And the developer never even considered it. And then next thing you know, you've got the next most amazing modification ever. So it it's kind of encouraging innovation and design, which was really cool. Yeah. 
were there any other pieces of equipment there that you saw that were really cool? Yeah, I totally forgot about that. Yes, I saw the Oculus Rift and I got to play with that in oh, person. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, so this is, this jealousy. is, this is the headset that has two screens, uh, one for each eye, creates that sense of depth by giving you the, uh, the illusion of depth, you know, your eyes are seeing two different uh, scenes and then your brain combines the two into a full picture. And I got to use the Oculus Rift at the Indiecade area. Indiecade is an organization that supports independent developers. They said they get a lot of support from Sony. So oh, that kind of cool. goes back uh, into sure. what we were saying before. And um, so I got to play with one of those for the first time. And it was it was really, really cool. I mean, it was just an interesting experience to have this true first person view. Yeah. What of kind of environment were you in? Uh, in this case, it was a, uh, independent game that allowed me to walk around these, um, giant asteroid like structures. And I remember I was walking around the first one and I was like, well, I've walked around this whole thing and I don't see anything else I can do. And I looked down off the edge and I saw another one further down. I was like, well, let's find out what happens if I walk off the edge. So I walked off the edge and I fell and landed on the next one. And then I discovered this weird little uh, platform with this glowing thing and I touched the glowing thing and then suddenly uh, I... You know, I wasn't sure what else had happened, if anything else had happened. I just continued walking around that asteroid, but there was nothing below it. And I was like, huh, I don't know what else I can do. Have I already reached the limit? Did I screw up? And then I thought, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to walk off the edge and see what happens. The glowing thing I touched turned out to be a little uh, platform maker. So if you, if you step off into thin air, a platform appears and suddenly you're walking again. So then I started building a pathway to other asteroids that were way out of reach when I first started. And the interesting thing was... For me, it was a game about discovery, figuring out what I could do, what were the limitations of this world, what were my abilities. Uh, I kept coming across other stuff, and I would pick it up, and I'm like, I don't even really know what this does. And it would take me a while just through experimentation to figure it out. A little bit like like Mist, but even more open in a way. Yeah, and in fact, I talked to the guy afterward, uh, the guy who developed it. He was he was the one who was guiding me through, and I said it was really interesting, you know, having to learn. Like I, I saw that there was something interesting there, but I had no idea what it could do, and it would take me a while to figure it out. But once I figured it out, it was really interesting. It's like, yeah, that's exactly the experience I want people to have. Everyone who's behind you is not having that experience because they watched you play. So they know already what these things do because they saw you experimenting and figuring it out. But you had that moment where you're just, oh, Oh, I get this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I was very happy that I was the first person in line. So I got to have the pure experience. Oh, that's very cool. Uh, Oh, and uh, and then there was another one I have to talk about. Sony Move. Sony Move one. Uh, This was a game called Joust. Lauren, we need this game (laughs) for The Office. We need the game for The Office because the competition would be insane. Yeah. So Joust had nothing to do with a television. All right, you have the okay. Sony Move. You are not looking at a display. So, you know, the Sony Move looks like a little wand with a ball at the end that has a colorful LED in it that can be different colors. Each person's uh, wand would be lit up as a different color. Mine was orange. And it behaved as if it were a candle. And there's music playing on the system. So you, you did have speakers playing uh, music. And the music plays at different tempos. And when it's playing at a slow speed, your candle is very susceptible to going out. If you move too quickly, it'll, it'll sputter out, just like a real candle would. 
when the music picks up tempo, you can suddenly move a lot more quickly. And the object of the game is to extinguish the light on the other player's moves before yours gets extinguished. So you, you are trying to hit, to bat the other person's uh, controller or to make them move their hand away fast enough to make it go out while you're preserving the light on yours. We had four people playing. Uh, I was second to last, so I, I survived all the way up until the very end. Uh, and it was so much fun, and I could just imagine the chaos that would erupt I'm in not, our office. I'm not sure that I want Holly Fry to body check me, so I, I don't she know. She would take that. you, well, that's the thing is that she would just, <laughs> she would just sacrifice herself, right? She'd be like, screw it, boom! And, uh, and you know, it was funny because as your, as your candle was starting to become vulnerable, you would feel it vibrate. And so you'd have to look at your light to make sure it was still on because if it went out, it would vibrate enough until you, you're out of the game. Uh-huh. And then, you know, honor system, you would remove yourself from play. But uh, anyway... Again, a very independently developed game has nothing to do with traditional video games, but was a really interesting way of using the hardware in a new, unpredictable, I think, from the people who made the hardware, I don't think they would have predicted this kind of gameplay. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, I, you mentioned something about SpaceX. Equipment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. SpaceX had, uh, had a presence there, uh, as did NASA. And SpaceX, what they had was they had a, the Dragon capsule on display. So oh, you could actually yeah? see it. Yeah. I took oh, a picture cool. of it. Um, so I got to see the SpaceX capsule up there. They had representatives who would tell you about the program. And that was really cool. It was neat to see it. And, and it's way smaller. That, you know, when, when I sit there and I think about the Mars One mission that we had talked about and how they are planning on sending people up essentially using the SpaceX Dragon capsule, I took a look at that capsule and I was like, I cannot imagine being in that thing for eight to ten months Yeesh. Yeah. to get to Mars. I mean, it, it, it's but it was smaller phenomenal than to you see. Think, it, think it is. Yes, yeah. yes. So that was really cool. And NASA, uh, the thing they had was they had um, pictures of the next rover. It's very similar to the Curiosity rover. Uh, they also had a game that has been out for a while for Xbox 360 on Xbox Live Arcade. I think it's free to play where you use gestures as a connect game. So you use gestures to control the descent of the Curiosity rover to the surface of Mars. Oh, wow. And so the, huh. you know, the idea is that you're, you're having to, uh, you, ha- you have to make the corrections that the Curiosity rover itself was making automatically. So when you have to adjust for the the angle of attack that you have when you're coming in, that kind of stuff. Well, the neat thing was I talked to one of the NASA guys, and he was telling me about the next uh, proposed mission. This is proposed in that it has not been budgeted and approved yet. But the idea is, he said, you know, we've learned about as much as we can with the sensors that we have developed uh, on Mars. What we really need to do is actually get some samples of Mars back into our hands. So that we can really investigate them right. properly. Yeah. So how would we do that? Well, if you're Mars One, you'd send people there. But NASA has a different plan. Their plan is send a rover, that's like the Curiosity rover, that is going to collect data and send it back just like Curiosity rover is. But it's also going to collect samples and put them into a container that can withstand that the... That can be launched. Well, actually, beyond that, it gets super crazy. So the container can withstand the the conditions on Mars for up to 20 years. The rover collects enough samples to fill the container, sets the container down, rolls away. Then NASA sends a second robot. 
This job is to land on the surface of Mars and collect the container, then right itself and use thrusters to thrust off of Mars and go into Martian orbit. Then they send a third robot whose job it is is to go into Martian orbit and retrieve the canister and then come back to Earth. So you're talking about three different missions to accomplish wow. this goal. So you think about how complicated that Curiosity rover landing was. They have to do that same landing again with this other rover, plus two other really complex missions in order to achieve this. But they said this is the only way we could think of to that or the most plausible way we could think of to get samples back to Earth. And when they were explaining this to me, I'm like, that is the coolest thing I have heard today. Yes, that's so exciting. That's oh, that's awesome. Yeah. No. So there was a lot of stuff at E3 that wasn't directly tied to video games that I, I was really excited about. So I'm very glad I went. No, that's, a, that's a very savvy uh, marketing choice. On, yeah. On, I mean, because that's absolutely the crossover demographic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You've got that, you've got so. people who are hardcore gamers. They're also the people who think that the thing like the Curiosity Rover, they're the ones who are watching that happen live. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I saw a lot of guys out there who were sporting the NASA Mohawk. So ah, ah. they're probably not thinking of it as a NASA Mohawk, but I did every time I saw it. Aww. But there were a lot of other great titles that I saw, things like Titanfall, where you're going to be a pilot that can jump into a mech and then uh, do some serious damage. Um there were you know, other zombie games. Plants vs. Zombies had a big presence out there that's coming back for some more uh, plant zombie fun. Uh, my wife will be thrilled about that. She loves those games. I, I like them, too. I shouldn't say that. It's just my wife. I mean, I like them, too. She just loves them. <laughs> um, you know, and there were a lot of other examples out there, too. Though the, Hardly anyone was talking about Nintendo at all, which is kind of sad. I mean, when you think about Nintendo is the reason why we have a video game industry right now. Of course. Because 1983, after that video game crash, Nintendo was the company that was, was able the to... the console that yeah, happened. They yeah, were able to bring, yeah, bring mm-hmm. it back from the dead. I mean, yeah. the video game industry, the home video game industry was dead after Atari essentially killed it. Atari and ColecoVision and Intellivision, the flood of all those systems, the flood of terrible games killed the industry. Nintendo was able to come back and resurrect that industry. And did you see anything from Wii U that you were excited about? Nothing. Yeesh. Yeah. I, I did go through the Nintendo area. I mean, they they have another Mario Kart game. They've got another, you know, Wii U Mario game. Uh, the games look good, but it's a lot of the same stuff I've seen a lot, you mm-hmm. know? It, and the Wii U integration gives it some new, interesting twists uh, with, when you're using the Wii U controller that has the screen in it. But a lot of the games for the Wii U depend upon something that I don't do very often, which is have people over at my house to play. Lauren and I are both the type of gamers who, if we're playing with other people, chances are it's online. Right, right. right. We're, we go on that multiplayer online mode. We don't tend to say, I need three of my friends to come over so I can play Halo the way I want to play it. That's not what yeah, we do yeah, anymore. That, that, that's actually my favorite thing about Halo these days is not having don't to, have to literally have to... land uh, Xboxes right. together. I don't have to, to clean my house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can just play. Well, also, now I, I will because now I'm going to have that Kinect sensor on there all the time. <laughs> I don't want Microsoft thinking, wow, what a messy place. <laughs> Also, the ability to mute your friends should you have to in case someone is trash talking to an extent. You know, you can't really mute someone who's in the living room. Uh, let me get you in touch with my chloroform guy and we'll talk. All right. Anything else? Uh, no, no. Now that we've done a chloroform joke, I think that we're I think that we're. All right. Well, 
just about wrapped up. Glad I knocked you out on that one. Oh, All right, guys. Dear. So anyway, that's the tech stuff look at E3. The future is going to be really interesting with video games. I think I, I honestly, for my style of play, I think Microsoft is doing something very bold. I think that there are concerns. I mean, I the DRM issue is still very much a concern. The, uh, you know, you don't want anything so intrusive that it actually ends up inspiring people to pirate games. Uh, I think that there are some things that Microsoft's going to have to look at and address. That being said, I still like the idea of digital delivery over physical media. It very much falls in line with the way I play games. So I do look forward to it. And they inescapably have a few titles that are just. Yeah. I mean, I got to play Halo 5. Right. I can't not play Halo 5. Um, so yeah, it's not like I'm going to abandon them, but I do understand why people are upset and I think their concerns are legitimate. So I don't want to give anyone that implication. I don't want to say Sony's good, Microsoft's bad. It's way more complex than that. But I will say that I wasn't planning on buying a PS4 and now I am. So if if you had, if you had to make the choice today, if, if they were both out today and And I only had enough money to buy one of them, Mm -hmm. I'd buy the PS4. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. Well, go team, go team Sony, change yeah, your minds. Yeah, I know, right? And, and, uh, I would still buy the Xbox One once I saved up enough money, you know, <laughs> for my paper route. Alright, so, uh, guys, that wraps up our discussion of E3. If you have any suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, here's an idea. Why not let us know about that? You can write us, our address is techstuff at discovery.com or drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle at both those locations is techstuffhsw. Lauren and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. <laughs>